This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 113. Today's episode is all about learning to live each day like it's your last. My true awakening and my true mission after I've realizing that I might die tomorrow is not going on the big trip. That is certainly something that I won't regret when I'm on my deathbed. But I think what our life is made up of more so and what our happiness is made up of are the small moments of awe and joy, hearing our child's laugh, noticing a magnificent tree feeling the sun warm on our face, dancing with our significant other. And so what I realized after I had my awakening is that the real work is feeling like you're living like you might die tomorrow in the everyday moments, as opposed to these big, grand, sweeping things. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Okay, let's start with some real talk. You're going to die and you never know when it's going to happen. Okay, I'm sorry, I should have eased you into that one a little bit, but I believe you can handle it. And it's true, whether it scares you or not. So take a minute and think, if you were facing the last few minutes of your life right now, would you be proud of what you accomplished? Would you have any regrets? Would you be proud of your legacy? It's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, whether little bad things happen, like a parking ticket, or you shrunk your favorite t-shirt, or getting passed up for that promotion for suck up Susan, or even the bigger things like you lost your job and you don't know how to pay rent, or you lost your house in a fire. All those little life crises that feel like they're the end of the world, that is until your world is actually ending. So the question is, how do we get out of that little bubble in our minds and remember to live each day like it's your last? And what does that even mean to you? Would you travel? Would you start to journal all your life experiences? Would you eat at your favorite restaurant one more time? Or would you spend the whole day cuddling with your spouse or partner, kids or fur babies? That's what we're talking about today. This concept is something that I've lived in various stages in my life. Sometimes I'd focus on the fact that, you know, I have to do everything I wanna do before it's too late. Now I'm more focused on building my legacy. But even with that, it's so easy to get caught up in success and having to accomplish the next big thing. I love giving with mind love. I love what I'm able to create. I love the people I'm able to help and inspire. But I also have to remind myself that this isn't the only thing in my life. I'm doing this for a reason. Yes, to help people and to make a difference, but I also initially created my own movement because I wanted to have more control over my life. I was sick of building somebody else's dream instead of my own. I was sick of having to answer to somebody else who I wasn't even sure was a good person or not. I was sick of having my energy, my life force depleted day after day after day, so much so that I dreaded getting out of bed in the morning. I recently surveyed some of you guys in the Facebook group, Mind Loves Mastermind, especially for entrepreneurs, and I asked what purpose really means to you guys. And a very brave woman named Kim, you know who you are, said, to me, it means never again thinking, if I get in a car accident today, I won't have to go to work. That sounds terrible, but it is not uncommon. I was recently in a public speaking mastermind, and that's what one woman's speech was about, that same thing. We don't even realize it, but we create these lives that we hate, that we loathe, that we don't want to get up for. And what is that? It's our life. That is what we are spending our life on. 
We've created a life that we loathe. So how do you get out of that? It's necessary that you get out of that. If any of this is ringing true, you need to make changes. You're wasting your life. Okay, well, now that I've scared the shit out of most of you, I'm going to dial it back a notch. Our guest is Kate Manzer. She was 30 years old when she realized she could do whatever she wanted with her life because something happened that opened her eyes. She realized she might die tomorrow. After experiencing this radical shift in perspective, Kate quit her job at Google to build her movement called You Might Die Tomorrow. It is now her life's work to inspire people at every age to really live before they die. So today, three key things we will learn are how to break out of apathy, how to find your meaning in life, including big versus everyday meaningful things, and how to make really tough decisions using the deathbed gut check. Before we dive in, you want to know the best way to be reminded of how magical every day really is? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a really cool booklet of Powerless to help you gain clarity and live with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Kate Manzer to the show. Hello, Melissa. Thank you for having me today. So I'm excited to have you on. First of all, you had one of the best pitches to get on a podcast. It was just simple to the point and intriguing. (laughs) So I was like, I must speak with this person. Yeah. I mean, when I send out my pitches, it's like, I definitely want to get on podcasts and get in articles and things, but I also have the hidden agenda to make sure that (laughs) everyone gets exposed to my message about the power of living like you might die tomorrow. So it's a win-win, even if you didn't pick me. So why is this so important to you? What's your story leading up to your message? Yeah. So this is ever since I had this radical awakening about the power of mortality awareness and how it can make you come alive. It was four years ago. I've just felt like so on fire to live. And before I tell my story, I'll just give a little bit of background on, I think, why this is so effective. And that is because like I... So many people out there are procrastinators and I always put things off and I work so much better on deadlines. And so the idea of putting a deadline on your life and therefore working back from that is so motivating. And so that's where it helps me to find the motivation to live today, to live with meaning today, to have fun today and to enjoy my life today. And so that's kind of how it motivates me to live my best life. Awesome. What you mentioned an awakening of four years ago. What transpired? Yeah. So four years ago, I was just going along with my life like everybody else does. I was married. I had a house. I had a dog. You know, everything was tied up in a pretty little bow until in the span of six months, three of my friends around my same age died in unexpected tragedies, just totally unrelated to one another, just one after another over six months. And I had never really thought about death up until that point. But seeing three people around me die that were my same age, I suddenly realized like, oh my gosh, my life is not guaranteed. I could die at any moment. And that was not my awakening actually, because for the year following those three deaths, I was terrified of dying all the time. Every time I would drive through an intersection in my car, I would be afraid that that would be the end. Every time the phone rang, I was convinced that it would be someone calling to say my then husband or mom died. Death went from something I never thought about to being this terrifying thing that lurked around every corner. And it's unbelievable. But the thing that popped me out of that fear and terror of death period was actually another death. So one year after me living in that death anxiety period, a fourth friend of mine died and his name was Dan Friedenberg. And he was climbing Mount Everest when the Nepal earthquake struck in 2015. And it just caused me to look at my life. Here I am afraid of crossing an intersection. And then here's Dan who lost his life living his ultimate truth. And it just made me 
see how ridiculous it is to live in fear of death because I could climb, I could die climbing the stairs or I could die if I ever decided to climb Everest, which I don't know that that's in the cards for me, but instead of spending my precious lifetime trying to avoid death, I saw that I just had to accept the reality that it will happen and I don't know when and instead channel all of that energy into living my best life while I'm still alive. It's interesting because I had a moment in my life where I lost a bunch of people too. And I was Mm -hmm. in my late teens and early 20s. And so this was really the first taste I got of death. There hadn't been anyone close to me that had died before. And I did not handle it well. I wasn't afraid to die, but I almost had like an energetic death. I immediately started self-sabotaging. I was just trying to drown out the pain and started to think, what is this all for? And I'm wondering, why do you think it was that you handled it by just the fear rather than some people might self-sabotage, some people might use that immediately and do something really productive? Where do you think it comes from when we handle things so differently? Oh my goodness. Well, I think death is always scary and the idea of dealing with death will always have some pain attached to it. Like loss is a very difficult topic. And so the idea of you having this time of self-sabotage or even situational depression or just grief, right? These are all very, very natural. And there's no way that we can really predict how we will respond to death. I mean, you know, sometimes we envision how Sometimes I think, oh, I wonder if my mom died, if I would be a stoic survivor under the circumstances or whether I'd crumble under the weight of it all. And in truth, it's usually all of those things like dealing with death is often messy and nonlinear. But when we can prepare for death or prepare for the idea of death by inviting a death awareness into our life before we actually have to deal with the death of someone in our life, then we have a sort of exposure therapy to where we can prepare ourselves to handle it better. And so that's why I'm so passionate about the idea of living like you might die tomorrow, because when we start to invite death into our life, actually, it was Sagyal Rinpoche in the world famous book, the Tibetan book of living and dying. And he said, I'll paraphrase, you know, why don't we think about death when we're calm? What a great way to invite mortality into our life by thinking about death when we're relaxed and looking at it as a natural part of life. And so this is, I think, the way that we can mitigate having that period, like you said, where we're just consumed by the negative emotions that come along with death is by preparing ourselves for death, which will happen by inviting it into our life in a calm way. That's such a great idea. I try to focus on things that come up when I'm feeling really low, when I'm in a higher vibration. And the reason Mm. for this is when you're in a low vibration, it can be really difficult to think of anything in a higher vibration. And for those who might think that sounds too woo-woo, I mean, just when you're depressed, somebody can tell you that hey, this always makes you feel better. And a lot of times you'll just kind of snap at them. (laughs) So I like to create those thoughts and those feelings and those habits and neural connections when I am in a good mood, when I'm feeling lively and energetic so that they are in stone or so that they are top of mind. So when I'm in such a depressive state that they're easier to just kind of grab onto and pull me out of my depths, if that makes sense. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And going back to that exposure therapy, when you're doing that, you're thinking about something that is challenging or preconditioning that response when you're in that higher vibration. All of these things are happening, right? So if you're thinking about death when you're more calm, as opposed to when you're more shocked, like that fight or flight response is minimized and you're able to think about it, like you said, in a more like coherent, calm, soul forward kind of way, as opposed to how we react when we're depressed or in shock, which is just like you said, is a more closed off, negative, more difficult to understand these concepts. You mentioned that on the fourth death of your friend who died in Mount Everest, that you had a different kind of awakening where that's the one that hit you in a new kind of way. But what I've found also with people that I've spoken to recently is a lot of people hear on podcasts about these people with this grand awakening and they think it's like some moment shift where their whole energy changes for the rest of their life and automatically they're a new person when at least for my own 
It was more like trudging out of the mud and a lot of cleaning (laughs) up afterwards. And now looking back, it's a period of time that I'm like, yes, that was my awakening. But did it just hit me and suddenly I was a new person? No, I actually had to have multiple awakenings over a few periods of time in different areas because apparently I can't get it until the universe punches me in the face. (laughs) And so what was yours like? Give us a description so that people don't pass off their own journeys of awakening because it's not what they expect it to be. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. was yours like? Give us a description so that people don't pass off their own journeys of awakening because it's not what they expect it to be. Absolutely. So I totally agree with you. I actually recently wrote an article called What Happens After a Spiritual Awakening. And it was that exact thing, which is like life kind of goes back to normal and you have to like readjust to this new reality and it's often challenging and you have to do the work. So for me, after I had this realization that I might die tomorrow, and that I want to spend the time that I have living vibrantly. I did the crazy thing, which is quit your job. I quit my job at Google and decided to travel around the world for a year because I was like, you know, I'm saving up all this money for retirement, but what if I don't make it to retirement? And I had always wanted to travel. And so I had this amazing trip that ended up lasting for two years instead of one. And it was beautiful. And I learned so much. But when I got back, which was when I ran out of money, I realized that the adjustment period was really, really challenging. And, you know, it's easy to feel alive when you're in Thailand on the beach, right? (laughs) It's not difficult to feel that when you're traveling. And that's, I think, a lot of times why we seek out travels, to get that feeling of aliveness and perspective and excitement and awe. But when I got back, what I realized is that it actually started to sink in for me when I was walking my dog one day. And I had walked my dog on this same route 
every day since I had gotten back and I had been back for maybe like six months or something going through this challenging transition time. And on this one particular walk, I started to notice the trees just out of nowhere. I noticed this one really amazing Texas live oak near my home in Austin. And it just looked so magnificent. And as I continued my walk, I started thinking about trees and noticing all of the trees around me and how many different kinds there were and about how they give us oxygen and how long they live. And I had this awe experience. It was kind of like a transcendent experience thinking about trees. And after that, it was when I realized that my true awakening and my true mission after I've realizing that, you know, I might die tomorrow is, is not going on the big trip. That is certainly something that I won't regret when I'm on my deathbed. But I think what our life is made up of more so and what our happiness is made up of are the small moments of awe and joy, hearing our child's laugh, noticing a magnificent tree, feeling the sun warm on our face, dancing with our significant other. And so what I realized after I had my awakening is that the real work is feeling like you're living like you might die tomorrow in the everyday moments, as opposed to these big, grand, sweeping things. I love that because a lot of the times we do need those big, grand, sweeping things to kind of give us an anchor point into where we want to come back to. And an example of this is my husband and I traveled around the world for our honeymoon. We went to nine countries in 30 days, which was really stressful for (laughs) newlyweds, but it was also amazing. And so in that, all of your senses are stimulated. That's Mm -hmm. why it feels so amazing. And it's so memorable. Whereas, you know, there's the case where if you have a picture frame on your wall, you're less likely to look at it because it fades into the background. It becomes your everyday normal. And the same thing when you're walking down the street of your town. I live in Santa Monica. People pay a lot of money to come visit here. And so it's a constant reminder to remember that I am super privileged to be here and to try to open my eyes like everything was brand new. Notice something that I didn't notice yesterday. Actually, just yesterday, I noticed a building three blocks down that I was like, that is a beautiful building. And have I never actually looked at it before? And so Mm. just taking some of those moments to try to bring that newborn energy or that fresh eyes energy to the everyday can really shift your own energy when you're experiencing your life and bring you back to that present moment of gratitude. Yes, exactly. And so there's this concept of symbolic immortality. And so humans by nature, Death is a universal fear. There's always fear when it comes to death. And there's always this sort of desire to transcend death in some ways. And so the psychologist Robert Lifton coined this term symbolic immortality in the five ways that humans, we know that we can't live forever. And so we strive to achieve immortality through symbolic means. And the five ways that he says that we do that are number one, through our biology. So by having kids, you know, we can feel that our DNA propagates and we live on in that way. We can find symbolic immortality through nature. So the experience of us returning to dust and becoming part of the earth, we can find symbolic immortality through religion. Religion promises an afterlife and that we never die. We can find immortality through our achievements. So like writing a book, right? Your name is on that book and it lives on beyond your physical life. And then the fifth way that we can achieve symbolic immortality is through transcendence. And this is exactly what you're talking about, which is like noticing a beautiful building on an average day or being in love, having a really great physical connection with someone These are all ways that we feel that our experience transcends our physical body. And awe is one major way that we can experience that transcendence. And it it quells our fear of death. These five ways that we seek embolic immortality, they are good because they propel us towards creating meaning, creating businesses, writing amazing books, having kids and experiencing awe. And they also quell our fear of death. I was just speaking to the most successful person that I know. (laughs) was uh, just said something about how his mentor told him that every single decision that you make is either bringing you closer to growth or closer to death. And something about that really changed the way that I view what I do each day. Because so many times, like I can be a huge procrastinator. It's something (laughs) that I fight against. I need those deadlines too. And even just yesterday, I was struggling with it. I go through ebbs and flows. I know a lot of people out there are like, Oh, yeah, Melissa's got her shit together and she's obviously a high achiever. I am, but when I crash, I crash and I want to watch like <laughs> six hours of a bachelor marathon. 
And so I was having one of those days yesterday where I have so much to do this week, but I just did not want to do it yesterday. So I just started setting my own little deadlines and really keeping in mind that, okay, what is this one decision bringing me closer to? Is it that life or that growth or is it death? And what is that? You know, when we're just letting our life force kind of wither away or we're wasting it or we're not. And it doesn't mean that you need to be accomplishing something like in this society that we've created where you have to be productive and be successful and live in that masculine energy, but more so, what are you doing for yourself? What are you doing to care for your own energy? What vibration are you living in right now? What are you spreading to the people around you rather than just kind of wasting it away or sucking other people dry or allowing another day to go by when you're in that soul sucking job? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it's like, are you enjoying your life? Because there's something about the finality of death and it being the end of our life that it just puts everything into clarity, right? And it it gives us this new and just really insightful perspective. And so that's why I started doing what I call the deathbed gut check. So the deathbed gut check is what I do when I'm faced with a tough decision in life or when I'm wanting to make sure that I'm on the right path or whether I'm deciding which brand of yogurt to purchase. I mean, this is something (laughs) that can be done every single day because there's something about the perspective of our death and the end of life that just illuminates everything. And so the deathbed gut check is you're thinking about the decision that you have to make and you maybe you close your eyes and you imagine yourself actually on your deathbed at the end of life looking at the decision that you're making in the present moment and you think about having chosen option A. You're looking back on this from that perspective so it's in the past tense and you observe how you feel in your gut having chosen option A, and maybe you know right away, you feel that sinking feeling or that heaviness. You know that that was the wrong choice. Or maybe you feel this lightness of being and this satisfaction from the perspective of your deathbed, knowing that you made the right choice. And maybe you have to repeat that with option B or C until you find the right one. But this is something that you can do any day to check yourself with that clarity, that clear perspective of being on your deathbed to make sure that you're on the right path or which option to choose when things are tough. How do you balance the, because we sometimes have these visceral responses based on past trauma where we might've been hurt in a relationship. So we get this sinking feeling when we start falling too deeply in love again, or like a dog coils back if they've been hit when they were younger, even if they've been in a loving home for 10 years, whenever somebody raises their hand. And so sometimes it can be really hard to discern between that gut feeling like it's your intuition telling you not to do it, or it's fear because you're stepping into the unknown or something that's going to be exhilarating that you'll thank yourself on your deathbed. But in the moment, it's just hard to face that fear or try something you haven't done before or take a leap or a bold move that you haven't conditioned yourself to do yet. So where is that balance for you? So I think two things. Number one, you know, we might have a fear of death, right? So we might have a fear of doing the scary thing, whatever that thing that we're trying to decide is. We also may have a fear of death. And so again, going back to that exposure therapy and incorporating death into your life in a calm way, which I've got tons of suggestions of how to do. You could download the We Croak app, which gives you a reminder five times a day to remember that you are going to die. You can start reading some books about the concept of mortality awareness. The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying is a great one. I've got a whole list of books on my blog. You can also just start to notice when things around you end and recondition your response to be instead one of denial and fear to acceptance and viewing it as a natural part of life. And so that's one way that you can start to recondition the fear response of death itself. And then as far as the fear response or that ingrained response from potentially a past trauma about taking risk or going 100% into love, I think that, again, you can use the exposure therapy and gently dip your toe in the water more and more in these areas until you feel good. Or you can start to tap into what your personal meaning is in life. And if your personal meaning in life is that you want to love big or that you want to help others or that you want to really, really enjoy yourself when you're alive, that gives you that sense of purpose that can be your like shield of armor when it comes to battling the fear that comes with taking risks or living your most vibrant expression of life. 
A lot of people are multi-passionate, and I am leading some people through finding their purpose right now. And one thing that I struggled with, too, as I was trying to find mine is I had so many things that I could connect to, or I'd hear somebody else's purpose or the meaning that they wanted to bring. And I'd say, well, that sounds good. And it was pretty hard to get clarity on my own until I really started to catalog my past experiences, my strength, what other people saw in me. How did you connect to that greater meaning for your life and know that that was the one that you should pursue? Oh, well, the absolute truth is that I have no idea what the heck I am doing <laughs> at all. <laughs> but what I have realized is that I know like deep in my soul that I want to make the most of my alive time. And I know deep in my soul that I want to have fun. Like I want to be on the end of my life and look back and know that I had a great time while I was here. And so that's what I've made my sole purpose in life is following my bliss. And so I don't actually know what my purpose in life is. I don't think most people do. I think we're all just taking a best guess. And so my advice to people who are struggling with finding their greater purpose or greater meaning in life is to just follow your bliss. Just focus on having a good time while you're here. And I found that in most cases, and including for myself, that has led me to my greater passions and that greater sense of enjoyment in life that I think we all seek. So true. Pulling the threads to your own passions and your joys and the things that light you up. Because I really believe that our emotions are how our body speaks to us. And we tend to listen to the voices in our heads because they're louder. But mm -hmm. once you peel those away, so much lies in the emotion. And the thoughts can really be trained. If you've been living in negative thought loops for years, or you've been really feeding those feelings of self-doubt or those thoughts of self-doubt and allowing them to multiply and giving them a greater voice than they need to, then those are the strongest neural connections in your brain. So that's just basically a thought habit where we can retrain those. But our emotions, I feel like, are really the insight into what our body is telling us or what our soul is telling us. And so I love that that is how you basically, again, pull the threads of those that greater meaning. And another thing that I love to tell people is that we're oftentimes looking for this great big purpose, like there's one soul calling that we're meant to do, when really, I think we just need to focus on what's going to give us purpose or meaning for right now. And yes. that might adapt and change over time. And because it'll lift our vibration and, and keep our excitement we're also more likely to keep our momentum. We're also more likely to see like opportunities to open our eyes to the things that are going to move us forward rather than the anchors that are holding us back. And so as we find those moments of meaning, it could even just be that, that I want to have a meaningful life and I want to find meaning in the things that I do. And if it doesn't feel meaningful to me, then it's not really worth my time. So I really like that you said that, like, it's not just this one big calling that I was meant to do. And if we're looking for that, most of us are going to be looking for our whole lives. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. 
A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. I really like that you said that. Like, it's not just this one big calling that I was meant to do. And if we're looking for that, most of us are going to be looking for our whole lives. Yes, yes, exactly. And also, there's an existential psychologist who's very well known. His name is Dr. Irvin D. Yellum. He wrote this book called Staring at the Sun that's just really beautiful about finding meaning in life and how we deal with the fear of death. And what he has found in his work is that the greatest antidote to the fear of death and a source of meaning for people in life is remembering that we all create a ripple effect while we're alive. All of our actions create a ripple effect. And when he reminds people of this, it really helps them process finding their meaning and becoming more comfortable with the idea of dying because we all want to have a positive impact on the world. And what I have found is that the best way that we can create positive ripples is just simply by enjoying our life and having fun because that energy and positivity that we create, sure, we can open up a school for underserved kids. Like these are all great things with the everyday interactions that we have by spreading joy and positivity. That's our best way to positively impact the world and create that really profound positive ripple. And give other people permission to do the same thing. Because when you see somebody that's just like, oh, wow, that person seems so vibrant and they seem like they love their life so much and they're living it so simply and full of ease and with grace, it opens up a possibility that we're not always exposed to, especially in this high achieving world where People seem to think that the only meaning is if you create something big or you build your own empire when it could just be that little mini empire within your own family or within your own soul. It's interesting because so this week was kind of a hard week because my husband's best friend had planned this big road trip with his mom and he did it every few years and she was just the best woman and he got there to find her dead. And so my husband's out visiting for her funeral right now. But it's interesting because she just recently inherited a large sum of money. And she was one of the really responsible type where she's like, okay, well, I can actually quit my job early and I'm going to put this amount of money until my retirement kicks in. And this is just going to set me through for the rest of my life. And so she segmented that away, did not spend any extra money. There was no big purchases. And so it was just an interesting thing to think about because on one hand, it's like, oh, it looks like she's really taking advantage of this. On the other hand, she has had it for a while now and she never got to the point of being able to experience that newfound financial freedom. And so it's kind of difficult sometimes to figure out what is living responsibly and creating a really well thought out plan for our lives that might give us the security and the benefits if it's in that job that you're staying in or the real concerns like health insurance and you have kids and whatever compared to really taking advantage of what life has given us and what we have at our disposal. Yes. And I get this question all the time, like, oh, if I was going to live like I might die tomorrow, I would eat 25 brownies and drink a bottle of wine and spend all of my savings. It's like, how do you balance that thinking that you might die tomorrow with knowing that 
in all likelihood, you probably won't. And I like to think about it in terms of like a healthy hedonism. So hedonism is the often attributed to like rock star lifestyle of living for the pursuit of pleasure. But a healthy hedonist is someone who finds pleasure in things that are also healthy. So working out, eating well, sharing love, doing good things for others. You don't have to be the drug-taking, sex-crazed, rock star version of the hedonist. You can be the hedonist who is just living your most full expression of life. And that's where I think the balance is, is finding that balance between the two of knowing that you probably won't die tomorrow, but living as if you would in a healthy and balanced way that brings you joy on a daily basis. And so we can't quit our jobs every day. We can't spend our savings every single day, but we can do small things which bring us closer to our greater joy. What about those people that are just completely kind of checked out? Maybe it's like me where a bunch of trauma around me happened and I started to think, what's the point of this? And had to get so low that the only way out was up. Or maybe it's just those people who have had the same day to day. Nothing big has happened in their life. And they're wondering, what is this all for? And they're just apathetic to their life. How do they break out of that? Oh my gosh, such a great question. I usually say that people respond to the reality that we will die or the reality of life one of three ways with anxiety, like I did for that one year, with apathy, like it sounds like you did for a period, or the third option is with action. And so when you can start to look at things in a more subjective way of like, okay, death is going to happen. I don't know when. When you can see, okay, I have these three ways to respond to my life then you can make a more subjective choice instead of being like a floating dandelion seed, just completely reactive to your outside world. You had mentioned that you used to work for Google, which for a lot of people is their dream job. We've all heard about the perks and the Mm -hmm. free food and the dancing refrigerators or whatever they have there. (laughs) So what was it for you that you really thought, okay, I'm going to leave this behind? You might have even worked really hard to get there. A lot of my listeners are at that moment where they either feel like they're in a soul-crushing job or everyone else thinks they have a great job and they don't feel that fire anymore. So what was that like for you moving out of that? And what would you say to people that might be experiencing that same thing? Okay. Yeah. I'll answer the second question first, which is what, what do you do if you're in a job that you don't enjoy? And I see three options for you. A, you can stay and stay unhappy, which I definitely do not recommend. B, you can quit and find a different job that might make you happy. And again, it's a gamble. You don't know, but you will have taken a calculated risk. Or three, if you're not ready to quit, but you're in a job that you don't enjoy, the only option for you is to change your perspective. So I had this boss when I was at Google who just drove me crazy. He was a micromanager. He would do these zany antics all of the time. And it just, it was super annoying until one day I realized that he wasn't going to change. I wasn't going to quit. So the only option for me was to change my perspective. And so I started to see him as a Michael Scott from The Office. (laughs) And I started to imagine my time at work as with him as like a sitcom. And I started to find it funny. And I just had to change my perspective. And it changed everything. We started to forge a relationship. I started to see his good qualities. I wasn't annoyed by his antics anymore because I just saw them as funny and kind of shook my head. And this is what changed everything for me. Or you can look at it like the Mayo Clinic janitor who was asked like, oh, so you're the janitor at their hospital, huh? What, what kind of a job is that? And he said, no, I save lives. I keep the hospital clean and protect people every single day. And so it's about finding meaning or changing your perspective. And I think those are the only options for you. If you are, however, motivated to start down a new path of employment, you have to take the plunge, right? Like it's going to be scary. It's going to be risky, but you have to be in it for that growth and the pursuit of living your best life as opposed to success. Like we can all strive for success, but if you're in it for the enjoyment along the way and to quote the cliche, the journey instead of the destination, you can't really fail because just by taking that scary calculated risk, you will have achieved something in and of itself. It's so true. I did the same thing. I took a risk before I was ready. I mean, emotionally, like physically, financially. And it was interesting because there were times where I thought, I can't do this right now because my finances aren't stable. But what happened is I was working for a startup at the end of that part of the career where we all got pay cuts in order to keep this thing going. And I had the same thing, a toxic boss like you. 
I also did the same thing, a shift in perspective, although I didn't look at him as Michael Scott. I looked (laughs) at him as a giant toddler and it made it really, really funny. So it kept me going even longer. But then it got to a point where I was already going into debt for somebody else's dream because I was trying to keep the startup afloat that I also felt like I was on a sinking ship because I didn't believe in the leadership there. And so it finally got to a point where I was so low. I was in the worst financial state I had ever been in. And then I took the leap. I was only getting approved for 29% APR credit cards. And that's how I started Mind Love. And everything turned around after that. And it was almost like the deadline that I said that I needed and that you said procrastinate. It was almost like a deadline for me in that I'm like, I have no other option. Like, I need to make this work because I spent a bunch of money on this. And that was another thing. I remember when I first started going down the entrepreneur path, so many people on podcasts and on blogs and coaching calls had said stuff along the lines of like, you really will take bolder moves once you invest in yourself. And I had always tried to get all the programs for free, be Googling stuff. And I honestly thought it was just a sales tactic until I finally reached my wits end and I did it. And I bought some program that laid everything out to me, saved me a ton of time and self-doubt, was a sounding board to get feedback on things, and everything turned around for me. It was still super hard and I was really financially stressed for the first year, but it was the push that I needed and it totally worked. And now I've built evidence for my success. And I know Whenever I try something new, I get a program, I get some sort of accountability, and I know I'm going to have an emotional breakdown that's going to make me doubt everything. And just expecting those things keeps me pushing forward. So when you are at those moments of wondering, what is this all for? Is this really going to work? Because everybody has those moments in entrepreneurship. How do you move through them? We just have to accept that fear is along for the ride no matter what. I think Elizabeth Gilbert makes this wonderful metaphor saying that fear is like we're on a road trip of life, right? And you put fear in the back seat and you say, you know what, you're along for this ride, but you can't touch the radio. You can't choose where we're going. You can just sit there in the back seat because I know you're going to be there all the time. And so it sounds like you have dealt with a lot of fear in your life. And at some point you just have to say, you know what, I'm going to move forward. Fear, you shut up, but we're going to get arm in arm and go down the path that we think is best right now. I also am super intrigued by the fact that you did an art installation at Burning Man. What was the inspiration for that and what was it like? Yeah, so the inspiration came from when I was on my two-year travel journey. I went to Burning Man that first year and then went back the second year and I've actually gone back every year since. And Burning Man is this wonderful culture in which it's no spectators. Everyone is part of the show, if you will. Everyone is part of the city and everyone's expected to contribute. And so I felt really strongly that I wanted to contribute something So I was like, okay, I need to make a You Might Die Tomorrow sign and it needs to be huge. And ended up being eight feet tall by eight feet wide. And typically my logo is You Might Die Tomorrow, So Live Today. But I felt like at Burning Man, I could leave off the So Live Today because the You Might Die Tomorrow is really the core of the message. And the So Live Today is what kind of makes it palatable for most people. And it ended up being just this amazing experience. I didn't need the So Live Today. People got it. And I've gotten so many letters and photos and posts over the years. That was 2017 that I did the installation of saying people, my janky art piece, which was like some of the art there is just of unbelievable mind boggling scale. And I just put up this janky sign that said, you might die tomorrow and put some lights on it. I mean, I did my best and I put my heart into it. But to hear from so many people that it was their favorite art piece and that it's changed their lives ever since then has just been this amazing, amazing experience that I've had. I mean, even doing something like that, like figuring out who to contact to get something like that up, all the steps that go into it, a lot of those types of goals can really overwhelm people. And I know there's a balance between just following the opportunities and the threads of joy and what excites you in the moment, but there's also a part of living with intention that has to do with goal setting and planning. And I know there's contradictory information out there for people saying, do a whole five-year business plan or or (laughs) think 20 years into the future. And then other people that are like, I only work within three months. What is your process of accomplishing your big goals and making sure that you're setting an intention for your life so that you don't have another five years pass by and you haven't accomplished those big things that you want to? 
yeah, so I get overwhelmed very easily. And so I'm not that great at multitasking or having a bunch of different goals. So I come up with one goal. And my goal for the past few years has been that my life's work is to spread the idea that you can live your best life by incorporating death awareness into your life or just spreading the you might die tomorrow message. And so to keep things simple and to keep me focused, I have that one great goal. And so whether it's the art installation or the book or the website or the speaking engagements that I do, it it all feeds into that one goal of spreading this important message. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this and kind of putting that fire under our butts to make sure we're living in this present moment. So for the listeners that are resonating with this and they just want more of you, where can they connect with you online? Yes, everything lives on my website, youmightdietomorrow.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, if you forget everything that we have said today or everything about You Might Die Tomorrow, just remember that one of your greatest missions in life can be to enjoy your life and have fun every day. And that's my best recommendation, no matter what. All the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 113. There will also be a link to Mind Love's Mastermind for all you entrepreneurs out there that are either still looking for your purpose or currently living it. I have a lot of exciting plans for the Facebook group this year that'll be starting in February. So get in there now. You can also just go to mindlove.com slash FB group and it'll take you right there. So your challenge today is to shift your perspective. What would you do if today was your last day here? Or if you want to make it a little more sustainable, what would you do if you faced the idea of your mortality each day? If you remembered that you might not have a chance to do all these dreams that are swirling around in your mind, would you finally get started? Would you finally start creating? Would you finally realize that you're slowly dying each day that you go to that soul-sucking job or that you stay with that abusive partner? Or would you realize that you are your own abusive partner? And would you start to speak to yourself differently? Would you realize that maybe those five extra pounds don't make you hideous? Maybe you're worthy of love just as you are, just for being here. Maybe you'd realize you don't have to strive as hard because you are worthy and you are growing just because you are alive again today. So think about it. What does it mean to you? And how will you shift your life based on that information? Jeez, I don't know why I'm getting emotional just talking about it. But it's so true. We are so mean to ourselves and we allow ourselves to sit in our own pain without even realizing that it's our choice to get out of it sometimes most of the time, almost all the time. So do a little soul searching this week. And I'd love to hear what comes up. And if you know of anybody that needs to hear this, that's been complaining about their life for far too long, or talking about those dreams that she just hasn't taken action on yet, or has never stepped outside of her comfort zone, share this with her. I want you to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on Instagram. Tag Mind Love Melissa and tell me what it means to you. What are you going to do differently today? And I will reshare all of those who share on my Instagram story. And I'm so excited for us all to connect in that way because, you know, when we get together and we talk about these things, that's what raises the energy. Your energy is not only contagious, it's exponentially contagious. So subscribe, rate, review, share, and tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.